Hey there. Hey. How are How's you? I'm good. good. How are you? Good. I'm at uh, one end of the house here. So hopefully I got enough Wi-Fi. Yeah, if you lose Wi-Fi, it gets kind of messy. Right. I think I think Adam will join us here in a minute. He said he was ready. All right. Let me get the dog out of here. Get out of here. So I see uh, Midwest was uh, dates got changed. Yeah, I think the entire universe uh, on track got messed up. Not just grid life. It was pretty much everybody. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, when you start changing the Indy 500 and and uh, Le Mans, then uh, that lets you know the game is uh, not the usual one. We're still waiting for a spa. That's with SRO spa, 24 hours to get changed. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw that uh, I saw that Chin was was going to be back on track here at the beginning of the month. Uh, well, <clears throat> yesterday, um, uh, well, actually today, Georgia, Carolina, and Tennessee did a partial opening, uh, and from what I get out of uh, Daytona, if Charlotte happens with NASCAR. Uh, in this next com coming race, uh, and if Governor Como allows Watkins Glen to run in July, then where everybody's back in business at that point. So, yeah, but no spectators. So, you know, guys that are hoping to break even, uh, not lose money on a track rental, might need, you know, the income from two or three thousand spectators. You know, right? Yeah. So, uh, what have you been up to this off season? Uh, <laughs> fortunately, we have fourteen acres. Um, so gardening and uh, working around the property and working on some other stuff. Are we be Are we on tape now or not? Yeah, you are. But I'll okay. probably crop and do whatever. Yeah. So uh, speak, speak your mind, Gary. What's that? Speak your mind. <laughs> yeah to a point um working around the property a lot uh i mean there's not much to do you know we were in the sro world uh we were totally dialed in and uh when this got pulled at saint pete um you know the governor they went in and, and canceled the gator nationals or postponed them and uh, so all the other events and from what we understand, uh, Mr. Penske, Mr. France uh, talked to the governor of Florida, and it was decided to allow St. Pete to happen um, if we went through, jumped through a couple of hoops. You know, everybody had to be temperature uh, checked in the morning. You had to have a hard car. There were no spectators. And the teams were all fine for that. I mean, we were there. So right, didn't really. At that happen. point, the money's kind of already been spent. Most <clears throat> money, of it. The money's been spent, and if you're going to get infected, you're infected. You know. Right. Um. So we all decided to do it. We started practice uh, on that Friday. They redid the schedule a little bit. Um. And we were actually it was about ten thirty. I think we were in the middle of our first uh, GT four. Uh, practice session and a track official walked over and said uh, throw the checker and we go what do you mean he goes we're done so 
fortunately for us, uh, we didn't tear anything up. The session before us, I think they they uh, had three red flags in a 30-minute session and wrote off three cars. So you hate to see that for a team because there's no reason to do that other than exuberance from the from the drivers, you know. Looks and, like Adam's here on the call too. Yeah, hey okay, hey, Adam. How do I sound? Any any good? Yeah, <laughs> same as usual. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm not <laughs> using my earpiece, so like the kroner that you are. Yeah, the, the <laughs> it's as terrible as can be expected. Right? <laughs> so I didn't have a chance to re-listen to the Gary episode number one. I don't remember what we talked about, but uh, Gary's life story, I think, needs more discussion. We we talked about a lot of, I mean, some of the old day stuff. Uh, I remember Adam saying that he wanted to talk about more about Le Mans uh, at that point. But, you know, there's a, I mean, there's, there's current stuff and there's old stuff. It depends. I mean, one of the things I'm working on uh, now is, uh, and I can't get into too much detail, but is a, is a couple of one, a documentary uh, and then a docudrama. Um, and it's really getting some legs on it now, dealing kind of with that, as we call the cowboy days of, uh, of IMSA. Um, that late 70s up to middle late 80s kind of thing that was uh, um, fairly exciting time. A lot of fun uh, was going on, but a lot of stuff that um, would still be considered illegal was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, are you, uh, Ava, Ava, are you recording right now? I don't yeah, think Anchor yeah. doesn't record, right? Yeah, we're we're live. Okay. Um, what? Uh, so I guess we should just like start, unless you guys already started. <laughs> we've just been chatting, but we're on. Yeah. We're online. So. Right. Um, I I would I would love to talk about the last couple uh, of years of what you've been what you've been doing, and then uh, see where it goes. So. Uh. Okay. <clears throat> I, I think uh, last year, you know, was uh, when you get to a point of where I am and, and you try to fill as many weekends as you can without having a, uh, a real job, um, <laughs> you know, it, it really is. I mean, I, I, I say that, but I also, uh, I think I did uh, 10 events in uh, 11 weeks. Yeah, um, yeah, that's busy. And, and I did uh, almost eleven thousand miles uh, with my truck and uh, and and uh, travel trailer. Yeah, uh, on, on the, was it on the way to Gridlife Midwest? You blew out like all the tires and ruined the fender on your trailer. <laughs> oh, it it, it it it's one of those things where you couldn't pull over and the tire, you know, went up through yeah. the uh, the fender well and took out the plumbing. Into your house. Yeah, yeah, in the house. In the house. You know, when I pulled over and I opened up the door to go, hey, I see a hole up there. And then you see shredded rubbers up inside the bedroom. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's about uh, fortunately. <laughs> we, we discovered. I think that year, I, I, I think last year I did three uh, high speed, three high speed tire explosions, which goes off uh, 
at, at like a 50 caliber sniper rifle. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, when they blow, they blow. I've blown a lot of trailer tires in the last uh, 400,000 miles of work and towing and everything. Yeah, that, and that some, whole thing. Sometimes they pop. <laughs> Coming out of Elkhart Lake, uh, going through Milwaukee, construction, the potholes, and then trying to sneak through Chicago. And I would always try to do that Sunday night to kind of beat the traffic. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty hard, uh, pretty hard yeah. on tires and sidewalls. Yeah. When they so, go, they, they explode. Yeah. So, uh, we did, I think five grid life events, uh, last year and we, uh, we picked up, uh, SRO um the uh the old pwc uh series and that's actually turned into um uh my kind of my main gig this year i'm uh the course uh which uh, i'm the guy on the radio and i'm the guy that makes sure that the um the track and the platform and the time schedule and everything is set uh for mm -hmm. each event and then we have individual uh, race directors uh, that come in um, and we run the race and myself and Bill Armitage and a couple of ladies out of Portland um, uh, work and, and developed a real good system. And with Brian Hayes, we've got a, uh, a series of scripted. I mean, what's important when you get at that level is, especially when you have all these different series that are going out, is that, you know, everything you're saying on the radio is the same. It's the same on Thursday. It's the same on Friday. It's the same on Saturday and Sunday. So that new teams come in, um, and the thing they hear on that first time that they're on the series radio is is going to be the same thing uh, when they're running a top car going for the win in uh, GT3. You know, so um, a lot of development there. A lot of uh, really. Uh, severe <laughs> clock watching you know i mean uh <laughs> adam he's like he and his team are like an infinitely more qualified version of you and me i think we try to cram more stuff per hour on the track <laughs> yeah yeah nobody does all right nobody does more than you guys do on on, uh, <laughs> on track but you know it, you learn a lot of things and and yeah. when you're trying to be at that level i mean you don't key the mic at uh, 9.35 and 20 seconds. You key it at 9.35 and 18 seconds so that you start talking at 20 seconds and build in the mic delay. And it sounds insane, but, you know, we have beyond a minute by minute, it goes down to a second by second when you're getting ready to start, you know, pro races, you know. And so having all of that and, and keeping track of that and being able to, um, adjust um, when there's an incident or the track is damaged or, you know, three or four cars are sitting on the roofs on fire. Uh, <laughs> three or freaking S2000 blows and puts oil down all over the uh, track. Exactly, exactly. Uh, three I or four at the same time, that's a bad day. <laughs> I, I still think of the guy, I think it was a, a historic race, uh, or historical race at the... Um, possibly at the Midi at Rotolana and up at the hairpin, a guy popped his motor at turn, going into turn six, and he dumped oil all the way down the back straightaway, all through 10A, 10B, all out into the pit. He was in the outside paddock, and we actually followed it to his trailer. 
<laughs> and I said, what, you know, do you have a 40 gallon oil pan? You know, yeah, it's seriously, that's, that's, that's I, a I mile and a half. The rod, the rod broke, the rod broke and must've just done this, you know, pinhole in the pan and had enough, uh, enough pressure inside that just sprayed. I think, uh, that weekend we used 65 bags of oil dry. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. I don't know what our record is, but I think I think it was thirty five. I think at a yeah. at a four day event. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, we've, uh, so we've got that. I'm hoping that uh, we do these events with uh, with Grid Life if the world kind of gets yeah. back to a little bit of normality. Uh, Dave and I were talking about it. Uh, the word out of Daytona yesterday was if the NASCAR event uh, happens in Charlotte which the Carolinas and Georgia and Tennessee are doing a partial opening uh, starting today. And then again on Monday is the next step. Um, if that happens and then uh, the New York governor allows the Watkins Glen race to happen, uh, the six hour for the IMSA guys in July, yeah. then um, I, I think everybody's kind of back in business. The only thing that the downside about that is, um, you know, for guys that are renting the track, if you're not allowing spectators to come in, and even if, even if you get 1,500 ticket buying spectators, in some of these cases, without a renegotiation of the contract, uh -huh. that would mean the difference of breaking even or making a little bit of money or losing right. uh, money at that time. So I think uh, on these bigger events, I mean, I know uh, NHRA, you know, moving. Um, moving the Gator Nationals to the fall um, at some point is what the rumor is. Indy being moved to the fall. I mean, the fall and the winter, the off season. There's no off season now. No. Um, so I think uh, <clears throat> talking to a couple of the team managers uh, in the DPI cars uh, in the last couple of days, uh, it's a concern of how to get most of their contracts are set on nine events. Right. Um, how to jam in nine events at that point without being just insane, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, without wanting to yeah. kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. how you're going to do petite and then uh, go out and try to do Long Beach and then turn around and come back and do Sebring. Uh, yeah. You'll have the you have the guys go on strike at that point. But um, you know, when you look at pro guys that are that are tied into contracts and. You're not going to get whatever their sponsorship is. Uh, you don't deliver, uh, they don't pay. You know, that's yeah. how that is. So, yeah, the, uh, the time is strange, man. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, it really is. It, it, it really is. And uh, Abe and I talked about it before we got on. We were at St. Pete's, and, and we agreed um, uh, with everybody. And I think uh, Mr. Penske and Mr. France had gotten on me Um a call with the governor and said, okay, the teams are here. We've got TV. We've got our live feed. We're all set to go. Uh, we'll just stop the spectators from coming in. We won't sell any tickets. And the teams will go through a temperature check in the morning and you have to have a hard car to come in. And we were fine with that. You know, yeah. we said, what's the sense of, of us going home? We've all been together for a couple of days already. So if you're infected, you're infected, but um at that, that point sale. yeah i think at, at that point we were actually in our practice and 
the track official came over and said, wave the checker. Uh, you guys are done. Pack it up. That's crazy. So, <clears throat> so we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, the concern that I think a lot of the series have and a lot of team owners have is, um, you know, what do you, what do you do? How, how do you, how do you take care of the contract? It, it's really in my mind, it's the contractors, the outside contractors, I can say for myself, uh, I mean, you're screwed, you know? Yeah. I mean, you got, this, nothing. You got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're talking now that you can get a, uh, some 1099, uh, help or for a 1099 contractor, uh, some unemployment help on that. But, um, one of the guys I work with, I think he had 35 weekends booked between five different series. Wow. Uh, and now none of those weekends are happening uh, yet, you know? So yeah. we went from, you know, we're on the same beat in March. We went from March. So into March, April, May, June, maybe July. So yeah, a lot of time. <clears throat> it's a lot of time and and guys i spoke with uh peter baron at starworks you know for starworks uh last week and you know peter said he nobody runs a, a pro team on a smaller shoestring than peter can and he said that um you know i don't have any full-time guys in the shop anymore but he said i make my money renting equipment and renting tractor trailers and renting ore wagons and renting da, 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 da. and he said nobody's renting no there's nobody's no use for it right now not renting so you know it's really a weird a weird uh anomaly for this to happen right now and i i hate to see it uh you guys moving midwest i mean there's always a there's always a concern when you start moving into the fall uh, yeah. For motor racing, as you get up, you start going up against college football uh, or NFL. Uh, and, you know, we hope that the racing fans and and um, and the populace that deals with what we do is more interested in that than it is, you know, sitting in the stands at the you know 20 yard line watching something. But one of, one of my concerns about Midwest being in October now is, uh, I mean, you were at uh, our, you were no. at that weekend. Oh well, yeah, that too. you were at that weekend two years ago. Uh, were you there this year too? I forget. Um, or last, uh, last year. year, yeah, yeah, last year. And, and uh, I mean, it, we had so much fog you could hardly see you could hardly see your hand in front of your face for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you guys are far enough north. Uh, going into October, it could snow. Yeah, it could. It could. It could also uh, well, be seventy and perfect. And, and that's the crazy part about it. So, but you know, chances are it's going to be cold. So everybody bring a jacket. You know, bring a pad to sleep on. It's still going to be a lot of fun. And and I tell you, when we had the uh, we had the uh, lemons race at Road Atlanta for the finale. <laughs> yeah. The first year, uh, it snowed like hell, and yeah. the guys were out there uh, having fun and. And the only thing that we did before the uh, before the race is make sure there wasn't any ice in any of the low spots, and uh, the rest of it was like uh, you had a little guardrail around you. You know, you had a six-inch wide guardrail. And yeah. I tell you, from a social media standpoint, I think in 48 hours there were over 140,000 shares and likes on that, more than so, anything wow. that ever happened because it was so unique. 
Yeah, uh, and they had, Champ Car had it there this <laughs> this spring, I think. Uh, Did they? Uh, they, yeah, they, they they actually had to red flag the race at Road Atlanta. Um, I forget what month, but it was like February. Uh, yeah. they, had, they had to red flag because it was snowing so hard you couldn't see <laughs> in, in Atlanta, you know. But, but you know, guys, right? And it's rare for us to have have snow, especially when it when it sticks like that, like the thing a couple yeah. of years ago. But you know, at the end of the day, for a lot of the non-pro events, it's about having fun and having a good experience, and that's. Yeah. You know, a little bit of weather uh, for guys that have never driven, you know, like in the rain. Okay, well, you know, it's good practice. Get out there and drive in the rain. And the only way to get better, uh, uh, to be a better wet driver is to drive in the wet. Right. As long as you don't tear anything up. Yeah, the, uh, we, you've, uh, you've been a lot of places. What was like the worst weather, uh, like at Le Mans or at, uh, Sebring or Daytona? Like what was the worst you ever had to deal with when you were, uh, when you were crewing um, pro teams? And stuff? I, I would, I would say Japan, you know, there was, uh, uh Fuji, uh, and I, let me digress for a second. There was a, a fun thing. There's a group of old guys, uh, on Facebook and, um, we had a competition of who had worked at, you couldn't count this as a spectator, but who had worked at either racing or been there part of the crew or, or something, how many racetracks you'd been to. And, uh, last year I made 100, uh, but we kept, we kept going. We know that Tony Dow and Tony Dow used to run Walkinshaw's, uh, effort here and and tony's down in australia running supercars uh, v8 supercars now uh and when tony came back up he, he had uh, i think he was at 166 i didn't even know there were that many oh yeah. yeah you know when you start talking about you know back in 65 i was with f2 at poe and and things like that so uh but but japan has historically uh horrible weather the fall race at fuji uh i remember in i believe it was 85 the world championship race and um i think formula one did this uh, as well one time in japan with lotta and everybody came in and said we're not going to do this but we started the race under the pace car and you could not see um you could not see the front straightaway and you had a little window that was right in front of us that you could hear the cars coming at and uh, and go by. So we took the green flag under the pace car, and uh, I think the second lap by under the pace car, all the Porsche teams came in. Third lap by the Jag uh, Jags came in. Fourth lap, third you know fourth lap or whatever. Uh, the next European teams came in and. Uh, I'll give the Japanese drivers credit. They were used to it. And all the Toyotas and Nissan Group C cars, uh, they turned them loose. And those guys <laughs> raced with it. And it was, you know, bonsai baby. I mean, it was wild. Um, it was wild. And then one time at uh, the new Nürburgring uh, as well, I think it was about 33 degrees and it spit snow. And then the fog came in and there was a... Uh, uh, a massive uh, crash. Everybody was behind the uh, pace car. And of course, most people didn't have radios, so the radios didn't work. And it was so bad that um, you had like Hans Stuck 
driving the factory Rothmans uh, 962 with a stick, like a little mop inside the car, and he'd loosen his belts yeah. and, and lean forward to try to, um, you know, get the mist off the inside of the windshield, even though they had heated windshields in the 962. And really? It, it was that up. bad? <clears throat> and um, I remember everybody was behind the pace car. He came in. Uh, did a pit stop and was trying to catch the field. And the field had slowed down for some reason because people started hydroplane on the straightaway. And he came shooting by and everybody was out at the at the Armco on the straightaway trying to get him to slow down. And he hit, I think it was Moss, hit Jochen Moss. And basically, if you had run Moss's car down a giant bandsaw and it didn't get the tub, but it took off you know, hit him in the rear, took the rear suspension off, took the coolers, everything off the side, took the, you know, the front right. suspension off and just sliced it down the side. But fortunately, nobody got hurt. You know, Hans Stuck and, and, and uh, Jochen Maas, Jochen you Maas. saw the car get cut in half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It cut, cut a third of it off, let's say. Okay. But didn't, you, know, you, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't have cut it any, you know, couldn't cut it any straighter. It was incredible, but. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. But those, I would, those two stick out in my mind. I mean, Sebring, you know, you would occasionally get the, the, uh, sorry, the dog just squeaked the toy. Occasionally, we'd have, we've had water five inches deep running down the pit lane at Sebring, where you would make little boats and and tell, and, and, and write <laughs> notes on it, and and you would sit there and, and you know watch that. But, <clears throat> but you know, it is what it is. You know, it's the same for everybody at that point. And, you know, when you look at, when you race in conditions like that, you start to understand why as a series, you know, you say there's one dry tire, there's one wet tire. You know, if I go back to uh, mid to late 80s, when we were the first, uh, at Bruin Motorsports, we were the first Group C car to have Michelins. Uh, we had two kinds of intermediates. We had three kinds of rain tires. We had a you know, a rain tire that the tread depth was probably uh, almost nine, you know, three-eighths of an inch or, or even deeper, you know. So we had an unfair advantage um, besides just having Michelins. We could dial in what kind of rain tire we wanted to use. So you start to understand some of that stuff. But anyway, that's that's different than the weather. <laughs> Gary, can you give us uh, uh, think of a story, um, anything from back in the day, where your team tortured the rule book and and found a loophole or did something that was like right on the cusp of being banned, but somehow you got away with it. <laughs> well, let's talk about the ones that we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, let's think about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean with with. Uh, when I was with Brun in um, 86, 86 to 89, um, we had at one point uh, three, three cars, 956 to 962s, that we ran in the World Championship. We ran them in inner series uh, in Europe, and then also a series called Super Cup that uh, was the precursor to DTN at that point and then we also had a car in the states and we had a car in uh that we were keeping japan but when one of the things that 
was the width of the car and or the height of the car so you knew the higher you could put the wing up um the better it it worked because it was in cleaner air and gave you a better balance on the car and also with the porsche the wider the dive planes that you could have so we would go through tech um and be legal and then when we would start the race um like 24-hour race so you're not going to be pulled into tech at that point we would start the 24-hour race the dive planes would be wider on the front and not dramatically wider but wider that the driver could feel it and also the wing would be higher so one year i think we finished second uh 24-hour and the first thing that we did and we had a uh, marshal uh, that's standing, a pit official is standing there to go down with the car. Um, and um, so the next to the last stop, uh, we actually fall down on purpose and break off the outside dive plane. <laughs> because, no way yes and break it completely off there was no kevlar in it so break it completely off because we had a good enough gap on the third place car they weren't going to catch us but i think we put larari in the car they weren't going to catch us anyway and <laughs> so we broke that dive plane off because the officials the tech officials would actually just go through and see what the total width was. And if the total width was fine, then they're not going to do the math and put the other thing together. And the other thing is the rear wing now was maybe, uh, well, I would say 13, 15 millimeters higher than it should be. And they allowed us to uh, change slips <laughs> to rain tires. And so we would change the rain tires and we have a pit official sitting there watching us. Well, the rain tires had about six pounds of air in them. Yeah. <laughs> so we knew, from being, we knew from being on the pad um, that, you know, that was that was a low enough air pressure with that construction of tire at that point. That yeah, nice it, soft tire. Yeah. yeah, that it would make the, uh, the wing. And I, and I tell you, it's <clears throat> these days, that's why when you go to tech now, there's a mandatory air pressure. You know, we yeah. have that at Thoreau, you have it at IMSA. That's because there's a lot of old guys like myself that have gone through this with teams that now work for the the sanctioned body or the series and go, you know what? <laughs> we do this. We need to make sure these cars are coming in here at you know at a proper air pressure. Yeah, don't let any of those guys uh, clumsily knock off the dive planes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're going to bolt another one back on there and just see what it is. So it's... Uh, That's a good one. <laughs> it, it's, um, you know, there was there were other things as well. Um, you know, fuel was, uh, and if I go back to 935 days, uh, we would do um, a sprint race. And I remember at uh, Red Atlanta, we had Ray Hall in the 935 in 81. And uh, this is something the Garrison guys with Dick Barber uh, had come up with. You know, you would just go to the pits and you'd fill up the car with the, the fuel bladder. And it was just an old bag at that point that, you know, hung in a little hammock. And um, 
Jerry Woods, who I uh, rate as one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with out on uh, out in California. We've worked together and known each other since since I was at Garrison in '81, um, and worked on all kinds of projects. Jerry goes, "Look, we're talking gravity." He says, "We can't pressurize the rig. You know, it's just a um, vinyl uh, Kevlar bladder. Uh, let's put the fuel rig up on the top of the tailgate." And raise the tailgate all the way. And so we would sit here, try to be the last guy on. And you can imagine now we've got the rig. We actually had a longer hose on it. We've got the rig on the on the tailgate of the tractor trailer. So we've got, you know, 16, 18 feet of, of head going into the fuel thing. And you could you put the probe in that thing and you would the 935 had a fiberglass uh box that went around the fuel cell and you would watch this box and you would hear it start to creak and you know swell out we're going okay okay all right all right pull it pull it pull it quick you know but that was one of those things uh, the officials really would not have liked that uh they'd known we were doing that kind of stuff i mean there's other stuff that we've done, but we don't really need to discuss that. Uh, <laughs> there, there was a uh, there was a terrific thing in Amelia Island uh, at the concourse uh, events two years ago, I think, um, and they had some of the really top NASCAR um, guys that have been with T. I think Rose Ray Abraham was there, and he brought a bunch of the old classic. Uh, NASCAR cheater stuff, you know, the restrictor plate and, you know, for the, for the speedway, uh, for the carburetor. And there was a little, um, switch and not a switch, just a, a little pull out. So as you, as the tech official would look at the carburetor and he's measuring what the restrictor plate, uh, holes are. Um, and then as you put the carburetor back on, there was a little key and you would pull that out and slide it out and it would change, uh, the size of the holes. I mean, very, very cool stuff. You know, was it smoky <laughs> unique or whatever? They took the fuel, they took the fuel tank out, drained all the fuel out of the car, pulled everything Still ran. out they got. And then he says, are we done here? And got in the car and turned the key. It started and drove off, you know, so. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it, it uh, you bunch of cheaters, man. Bunch of cheaters. Uh, it's you know, yeah, well, yeah, kinda, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think a lot of the the rules that are written nowadays, like uh, if 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 the intorturation and like the the pushing of the limits and everything, like if that hadn't happened, I mean, it would somebody else would do it. It, oh, it had yeah. to happen at, some, at one time, you know, one time or another. You know, one uh, one thing that was so fantastic, we used to call it Sweep of the Week, and, and Greg Eliff, uh, who's running a restoration shop, uh, was our team manager and a really sharp guy when I was at Garrison, and we did some other projects together in the years. But, you know, when you're sitting there and, and you, you anybody that wants to go fast and starts working on anything, whether it's a boat or it's a car or a, or a bicycle or whatever it is, you sit there and stare at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we were doing the Mercedes a couple of years ago, uh, the P1 car 
for Daytona and, you know, Saturday night, Tuesday night at midnight, John Shapiro and myself would just sit there and, you know, the guys are gone or quietly eating or something like that. And you just sit there and stare at it and go, you know what? What about if we did this? Yeah. If we did this, you know, this would allow us to get the gearbox out in 20 minutes instead of an hour. And if we did that, we chopped this and did this, you know, and to be truthful, that's a lot of the, the direction where everybody's gone with homologation of cars and, you know, getting the manufacturers, the OEMs involved with it. Um, so they'll pay money stops us from doing a lot of that. So I had a conversation um a couple of years ago with the with the uh, IMSA guys that I said the fun um the innovation that we used to be able to do um you guys have taken all that out yeah you know um you don't want it to do that you can't do this thing you're into, I mean and, and there's stupid shit like uh and again I refer back to Jerry Woods when <clears throat> when we had um water-cooled cars, you always had to worry about because it was the quality of the coolers and things like that. Um, we came up with the first fire extinguisher that was filled with water and a quick disconnect that you would come in during a pit stop and be able to plug plug that into the back of the car and add water under pressure, right. under pressure through the system uh, that would bleed it all out with enough pressure that it would pop the uh, pop the header tank uh, cap, and so you know that you filled it back up again. Because anybody that thinks that you know when the car is overheating, you're going to come in and I'm going to open up the uh, header tank uh, cap and pour water in it, you're kidding yourself. You're not no, doing that's not gonna... no, you're not doing anything. So they didn't even want us to do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and we're saying, but that allows us to keep racing. Yeah, but you might be putting fluids on the surface. Well, I get that as well. But you know what? At at that time, um, you know, you're at war when you're in a big endurance race like that, and you do whatever you can do to, you know, to to get the car to the finish line. Yeah. I mean, what was the fabulous, what, what, fabulous fixes? You yeah. Know? That uh, adding pressurized water like that—that's uh, especially if you're all set up beforehand. That's that's brilliant. Um, what was uh, what was the hardest endurance race back then? Like, what was the hardest one to finish? Uh, you know, I mean, Le Mans was is so fast, and if you go back to um, if you go back to before the chicanes, three ninety. Um, you know, it was fast, but it was spread out and you were limited in how many cars you had. Daytona, when we did not run Daytona with lights and you would have, you know, 75, 80 cars and you have a lot of cars that were there, uh, it was a battleground in the night. But the roughest from from having the car had to be the big course at Sebring. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not taking into consideration the big course of Nürburgring, but, you know, Sebring at one point, um, their, your right height was almost an inch higher for Sebring than it was for Daytona. Um, and so I remember, I think it was Jim Busby, uh, in the BF, uh, BF Goodrich cars, uh, you know, somebody's tailpipe came off 
and he drove over in the 962 tailpipe and actually came up through the floor. Now that could happen anywhere, but the the beating uh, because Sebring part of Sebring was built as the bomber base for World War II. Um, so it's giant concrete slab. At the time, it's just sitting on sand, and all these concrete slabs change. And when they when they made the track smaller, um, and and smoothed it out, Dr. Panos did. Um, it I won't say it took from the character way, but it certainly changed um, the way that Sebring was. And a lot of guys like um, Audie, when Audie would come over they would use Sebring as a test. You know, go do a 12-hour uh, test of Sebring, you're good to go anywhere. You know, if the Just car... see what broke. <clears throat> if the car can can do 12 hours of Sebring, um, you know, it can it can do 24 hours anyplace else in the world. So I got oh. I to tell, if, if you've got time, I got to tell one really funny story uh, from Sebring in the old days. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So in 19, uh, in 1981, I left Swap Shop after the 24-hour in 81. Uh, this was before the Miami Grand Prix that used to be between Daytona and Sebring. So I was trying to decide what to do. You know, single, you know, wanted to get on with a good team. So I wound up uh, running the second car at uh, Mama uh, for Jean-Pierre Moretti. And uh, so I ran the second car there. So one, uh, I can't remember if it was the practice, the night practice. I think it was the night practice. And the, the old straightaway, which was the runway, the only way that you knew, and you're doing, you know, let's say 175, 180 miles an hour going down that straightaway. And the only way you knew to turn, because there's so much surface, paved surface or concrete that was out there, was a cone. Well, somebody had clotted the cone and knocked it completely off. Of course. So, and again, no radios. So, John Piero misses the right turn and go shooting down the straightaway. And like three other cars following, you know, slower cars. So he says, I'm going and going. And you can imagine, you know, fortunately the runways, for, and he says, all of a sudden, I realized the grass is like five feet tall and I'm shooting, I'm still on. So I start slowing down and finally stop. And all these other cars stop around him. So he actually gets out of the car Climbs up onto the roof of the car to see where where is the racetrack? <laughs> so they see the lights where everybody is. So now this little train of cars turns back around and is now coming counter course onto no big deal <laughs> counter course with these guys coming at them, and then they all feed back into it. And I remember sitting at the pits and. Uh, the car comes in and the roof's tinted. You know, they had the 935s had a had a uh, uh, just a portion metal roof on it, and the roof's got dents in it. And we think initially, you know, what the hell went happened here? You know, you roll over and just barely touch the roof and came back up. And so he comes out of the car. And I go, doctor, what what happened? And he goes, I must stand on the car to see where I must go. 
you know, it just, it, it, it could never happen. No, you know, no. But there was the, no catch fence or anything. It was just you know, a cone. You know, just keep on going, you know. Unfortunately, the presence of mine uh, just eventually stopped the break. So, you you know, shot through the fence there across the highway and headed down to, uh, you know, Tampa. So, or not Tampa, but uh, Naples. <laughs> so that, was, that was really one of the fun. I mean, that's why they had a, they had somebody, uh, I think it was Bondaran uh, for right. They kind of hit a wild pig. Uh, oh my gosh! Wild, wild pig. It wasn't anything to stop it. Here comes the wild pig, you know. And fortunately, in the Daytona, it's like hitting in a battleship. So, but it still uh, didn't didn't uh, didn't help it any. No, that's that's bad for the car. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was bad. It's, hitting the pig's like hitting a tree stump. So. Yeah. Didn't didn't uh, the uh, was that the founder of Momo, the guy who stood on the roof of the 935? Yeah, yeah, Jean Piero. Yeah. Uh, didn't well, you catch uh, him in a Didn't you catch him in a hauler one time? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you know he's passed on. <laughs> we don't want to tell that story. But I, I had to stand. I had to stand guard. <clears throat> you know, we had we had Penthouse as a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. It was so every, there, man. Everybody wanted the black and gold Momo Penthouse. Uh, yeah, Jean Piero was one of the great, great characters of motor racing. He made pasta uh, one day every day, and uh, at the at every event. Um, he would go and uh, he and his wife, I think Daniele, uh, he would make a big bowl of pasta and invited most anybody that came over. You know, it was a big, it was more of a family. It wasn't as corporate as it was, as it is now, uh, would come over and you get a plate of pasta. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And that was just one of those things that, uh, that he did there. But he really, when you would, when you would be around him, and you would have uh, Claude Ballalena and uh, Risi and Bob Wallach, uh, maybe one of the German guys, and you would watch a conversation going on, and none of them would have a common language. And the conversation's going on in like three or four different languages. And you're just watching this bounce back and forth, and it's just blah 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 blah. And if somebody would speak French, and they had to repeat it in Italian, and that would go to Spanish, and somebody <laughs> talked to German. It was yeah, he was a terrific, uh, really a terrific guy. The amount of of effort uh, and money that he put into uh, racing for so long uh, helped develop a lot of uh, a lot of cars. You know, he kept trying to find that. Um, unfair advantage, you know, putting the Buick turbo uh, engine into an Alba uh, at at, uh, at one point, and the Buick turbo uh, without the restrictor in it made a thousand horsepower. Gee. And the Alba was a you know maybe like a C2 lights car kind of thing. And I think uh, I don't remember if it was Price Cobb. Somebody drove the thing at Watkins Glen and, and did about four laps and came back in again and says. Not me. Somebody else. Much. Somebody else can get in that thing, but it's just we're you know that that's going that's going to kill somebody's not going home on Monday if we got to drive this thing in anger. But um, he did a lot of did a lot of cool stuff. Really a a, a terrific terrific guy. Were uh, were you uh, at Lama when uh, Paul Newman and Dickie Barber <laughs> and somebody else won with that nine thirty five? They won their class. 
Uh, the finished, Hawaiian Tropic car, I think they, it was. Yeah, they finished second. They finished second, second overall. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was Jerry Woods. That's uh, Marty Raffoff and uh, and Jerry. And basically, it was Dick Barber's car, but it was all, most of the guys there all worked for uh, Garrettson Enterprises out of Northern California. Um, and that's how I wound up going to, after the Sebring in 81, I, I had an opportunity to go to, Go to Garrison. It was the right, uh, right decision. No, I wasn't there uh, that year. That was the year '79 when the Winningtons won with yeah. the uh, the Kramer 935. Um, but uh, you know, I give full credit to to uh, Newman. You know, he was, you know, he was a terrific world star. But um, what little bit I was around him because uh, we had Ray Hall. In 81, 82, and Bobby started doing uh, Can-Am with him. Uh, I got to stand up on their, uh, you know, motorhome with him at uh, Riverside, I think. And and uh, just any interaction, the guy was a class act, you know. Yeah, he seemed like he was about as much of a, a, a legit driver as you could get to and be a world-famous, one of the fam- most famous movie stars in the world. <laughs> so. I, I remember when I first started, I had a little... Uh, uh, Austin Healy Sprite, not a bug eye, you know, like an MG midget and quarter envelope body or whatever they called it. Um, and we go to Moroso at Palm Beach and uh, PL was there. You know, he had the, I think, a Bob Sharp 260Z or something that he was racing and he won those. I think he won his the uh, championship. I don't think, I believe he ran, won the runoffs. Yeah, he. I think he won the runoffs in a Z. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah what year? But. but I mean, he was. You know, he was into it. He was. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, and he'd be. What I remember of him as well, is in a short, you know, pair of shorts and and, uh, you know, Doc Siders and a polo shirt and no entourage. You know, it's kind of like Dempsey in that respect. You know, when when Patrick was racing uh, with us before he started doing more of the European stuff. Uh, and running the Mazda RX-8s, you know, he would sit there and, and help and watch the guys load the car. And I remember at Daytona when we did the, the was it Paul Revere before the uh, the NASCAR race the next morning, and we had to be out at like midnight, and Patrick would stay there till like 1 o'clock in the morning and come over to Mark Raffoff and myself. I, I was Rolex Series Manager at that point, and uh, say, guys, I had a great time today you know i look forward to the next one and he would have his helmet bag you know in his driver's suit in his hands and walk out into the dark you know yeah. same deal same deal very very uh wanted to do it we told him uh when he wanted to do some world championship stuff and and uh, go to lamar and we told him you should do it you have an opportunity to do it do it now while you can do it so yeah now, what what made me think of that of Paul Newman was when you said uh, the guy from MoMA would make spaghetti, and there were stories about Paul Newman. He would make uh, food for everybody back when he was racing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, uh, it sounded like a little bit more of a family rather than a business back then. Uh, it's you know, I, I would say it was more like a grid life event with older guys. <laughs> more of a party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's you know, cool. I, I told somebody when working on this documentary thing, and, and I said at one point there used to be, um, and it wasn't a go kart track; it was Malibu Grand Prix, 
And Malibu Grand Prix, you did one lap in this little formula car kind of thing. So it was like a hot rod, go-kart, didn't shift, but you didn't get to race with other people. Well, there was one of these down in South Florida and Hollywood or Dania, Davey. And back in that period of, of like 80, 79, 80, you could go there on Tuesday night. And on Tuesday night, you would have Don, Bill, and Dale Whittington. You'd have Preston Hinn and his daughter, Bonnie, who was racing. You would have, you know, Marty Hines. You would have anybody that raced on the East Coast of South Florida migrated to that Malibu Grand Prix Prix that night on Tuesday night. And it was so, go kart track. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. And you've got these major millionaire guys. I mean, Preston at one point flew over the track in his helicopter and took a photo of the 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 track because it was I don't remember how many turns, so you know, twenty eight turns or something like that. And had a big blow up in his office so that he could figure out what the best line, the best line. Was. What the best line was, you know, nobody had nobody had uh, Google Earth at that point, and it was so funny. And guys would be sitting there with the mechanics, going, "I, I want the big steering wheel. Uh, here's fifty bucks. Go get new tires of the thing." So they were already back and forth trying to get that advantage, but you would never have that now because they were playing Time Attack with their friends at the go kart track. After with their friends, but it was the same guys that they would be banging doors with. At IMSA no, or the next week, you know, and it's so cool. Yeah, it was it was terrific. It was terrific. Yep. The uh, the times have changed a little bit, but I it, it seems like it's uh, yeah that spirit lives on uh, in some places, which is cool. Yeah, I I think what's interesting, um, the one thing that's come out of the whole virus thing right now is how the esports thing has really taken off and. Yeah. I mean, from you guys doing it to F1 to Trans Am to SRO to NASCAR, everybody's got an esports thing. But I think the funny thing to me is that, and this is so typical, is you have guys that can drive the race car really fast, uh, but can't drive the simulator. Yeah. You know, and you see this now with guys you've never even heard of that are winning. Uh, or you see in the case of F1 with Leclerc, you know, here's a young kid that's grown up on the simulator and he can, you know, he can win, he can win driving the simulator. But, um, I think back to, uh, in 86, uh, in Japan, they had this really terrific, um, video game and it was the 24 hours of Le Mans and, you sat in the car and uh, at that point, the, whoever it was, Atari, whoever made the thing uh, had all the cars in the game were from the 1985 uh, Le Mans. So you had, you know, the, the Yost car uh, was in its yellow, white, and black. You had the American 100. You had all these, all these properly done cars. And as you would do laps in it, the sun would start to go down, it would get dark, and the lights would come on, and then you had to go through three or four laps at night, and then the sun would come up on the other side. And it was so funny because you had Hans Stuck. Again, this is the second time we're talking about Stuck. Stuck could not do a lap. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember yeah. you know, get out of this thing, and 
where all of a sudden all the teams are watching these guys and they, you know, they had all the top drivers there and he'd get out and start swearing in Bavaria, you know, scheiss, you know. <laughs> one of the best drivers of all one time. Of the best drivers <laughs> I could have to a lap in a simulator. That's awesome. <laughs> Makes me feel better. I can barely, I can barely get around a lap, uh, around road Atlanta and, and I racing. <laughs> well, I'm not I, hot I, stuck. I think, yeah. I mean, the, the quality of the, uh, our engineer that we had at P1 actually now has, uh, has a business he has a fifth wheel i think a 32 foot fifth wheel trailer and has you know a very top level uh i think indy lights uh just picked him up as the official simulator for for indy lights um but the quality of of the uh software and hardware for that is just so uh so incredible you know i yeah, mean it's it's, any of the guys that we had you know, if I was running a top car, uh, like when we had the Mercedes, uh, two of the guys had never driven a Daytona before. And that's one of the things, you know, Maxi Book, one of the top platinum uh, guys, and Fabian Schiller, one of the silver AMG drivers. One of the things that we made sure before they ever showed up at the Roar was, have you been on the sim? Yep. yep. We've done days and days and days on the simulator. So, you know. Yeah other than feeling a little bump here or a little, you know, the nuance of the track or learning that where the hole gets on driver's left and the exit of the bus stop after, you know, X amount of hours, you know, learning that kind of stuff. But as far as knowing, knowing when to go left, when to go right, uh, you've got to have it. You've got to have no, it. No, it, it, even at a rudimentary level, it, it definitely helps. Like it helps it helps fix all the problems that you normally have to solve uh, the first five laps at least, you know? Right. But. We had uh, Atlanta when the, what's the really top hyper car uh, for Aston Martin? Was it the Vulcan? I think when the very first one showed up a couple of years ago and they had two of the top Aston Martin drivers were with it. And I knew the head engineer and I had worked together years ago in, uh, <clears throat> in England and I came by Graham Humphreys and I said, Graham, you know, I had my truck there, uh, the, uh, our Chevy 1500, whatever. And I said, Graham, where's your drivers? I want to take them around and just give them a lap so they can see. And the two guys looked at me and they go, uh, you know, don't worry, mate. You know, we've been on the simulator, you know, we know what we're doing. And I said, I, I'm really going to insist. You've got a car here that, you know, you can crank up to 850 horsepower, uh, something. I, I'm really just go along with me. So we leave the pits, we go up, go through six, and I'm doing, you know, 50 miles an hour or something in this pickup truck. As we go through 10A in the chicane and we start to come up the bridge, you know, I floor it and I can see. Now we're coming up to the bridge, and I say a floor. You know, I came underneath the bridge at sixty something miles an hour, which in a friggin' pickup truck is pretty quick. <laughs> it's and, enough. <laughs> it's enough. And I can see both of them. As most drivers, they don't want to have somebody else driving the car. And you see, you know, his right hand going for the armrest on the door, and and all of that. And then go down the hill, you know. And I slow down before I try to go sixty with the pickup truck through turn twelve. And um, both those guys went, you know, like Gordon Bennett, you know, it's okay. That's completely different than the simulator. 
Rocks. And I says, okay, yeah, very much. The rapid elevation change. Is yeah, so- let's, do, let's do another lap here. And then you guys get in your rental car and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they did like 45 minutes of rental car after that just to yeah. you know, get that feel for it. But Yeah. No, it, uh, it's pretty accurate in iRacing, but like, uh, there's hard, it's hard to describe the actual like feel of that. Those, those couple elevation changes at Road Atlanta, those are something. <laughs> I think it's, uh, racing on the simulator that instills the fear of that track to me because I swear to God, every time I try and do yeah. a lap in Road Atlanta, I crash at turn 12. Every That's why time. I put that second group of tires there with the, you know, the island. Yeah. You know, that's a bad place. That's a bad place. Boy, when we have the, uh, not to turn this into a road Atlanta conversation, but uh, the biggest thing that I feared uh, was the historic Can-Am cars. Yeah, and I believe it. Yeah. The bikes, I didn't care. You know, the bike guys are all tough. I mean, they're all, you know, four foot tall and made out of rubber and, and, and covered up covered up in suits uh you know thick rubber and and flexible and they know what they're doing um you know they're not a dentist or or some guy that's gone out and bought a mk8 or something and and um and i remember the shadow car i think the throttle stuck coming underneath the bridge and he got down into the grass and uh, if it had not been for that secondary island pushing him in, we wound up having to cut him out and evac him into the helicopter. Um, oh, was that like five years ago? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember then, that real bad crash. At, and uh, then the, the sister car, I believe, crashed at Laguna. Uh, yeah. Actually flew. Actually came up and flew through the air. And uh, so that's both those cars were, were hurt really bad. And But... Um, the driver, I believe, Bennett, uh, like a year and a half later, was driving again. Yeah, it was a real bad crash. I remember a bunch of articles about that. Yeah, yeah, we we actually he stayed conscious the entire time, but we actually had to cut him out of the car. Uh, unfortunately, had a helicopter to get him out of there. But... Yeah, it's a it's a spooky place in a in an outdated, safety, ancient, super fast car. But... Yeah. Yeah. It's a spooky place in a Honda CRX, especially when your grass when it's your a tire gets in the grass. Yeah, the first time I was there, I went down twelve and got my tire in the grass on the left, uh, like second lap of the race. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all cool. You gotta, all you gotta do is look where all the rubber goes. You know, you yeah, see all the rubber. You know, and and we we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of addition of tire packs and change them to FIA uh, parallelograms so the interlock and did a lot of things there but uh, you know that's part of it that's I think that's one of the things that keeps the especially the European drivers that come there that have never seen it they really like that old school that Elkhart has that Watkins Glen has Limerock has you know, uh, mid Ohio, you know, I mean, there's some of the old tracks that are not built. I mean, it, it's to beat up on Coda a little bit. I mean, you know, a Coda with all the new Formula One with all the paved runoffs that everybody's got, where, you know, there, there's, you can do whatever you want to do. And except for control, giving you a track limits warning, uh, you don't ever hit anything. No, you can just drive wherever. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just like a, a difference in the amount of respect that has to be paid to the track, right? Like Road Atlanta, Road America, those places, you just like, you go in and you realize that yeah. if you yeah. as a driver make a mistake, yeah. it's going to be bad. You know, and, and and guys that have never raced on street tracks, you know, you run in Long Beach or Detroit or or some of those some of those places that we used to race at, the you know, old original Miami Grand Prix. You know, those, those you know, you had... When you talk to the guys that were really good that could drive street tracks, he says, you have to forget that there's a concrete wall there. You know, you have to, I wouldn't drop my tire off in the grass. So you look at it with that same kind of uh, mindset that, you know, if I had 10 feet of grass on the side in a prototype, I'm not going to drive with my tire in the grass. Now, you know, if you can straighten the corner out in a touring car, in a TC car or something, you got to do that. That's part of the reason that little cars are hard to keep on the uh, the track because it's, they don't have to let off the gas and go shooting across 10 feet of grass. So it'll take an opportunity to do that. But. Yeah, it, uh, I wouldn't want to crash a prototype at the bottom of 12. No, thanks. No. Thanks. No. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, you, you're working on uh, you're working on some documentary stuff. Uh, you probably can't talk much about it, but can you tell people what it might be about? Um, we, yeah, one of the documentary is actually kind of dealing with the uh, let's call it I'm using air quotes here the cowboy days of uh, of uh, IMSA uh, back in the International Marijuana Smugglers Association. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so there's uh, there's one there uh, that we're looking at, um, and then the other one is a uh, potential docudrama. You know, there's a lot of uh, there was a lot of great stuff that was going on in those days. Uh, besides uh, what was going underneath the, the radar, really underneath the radar. Uh, <clears throat> But it was a, a terrific time uh, for racing and for teams. And uh, we actually said to uh, the producer the other day, um, there was actually almost a frat boy kind of uh, attitude, you know, uh, yeah. where, where there was a lot of uh, the same kind of camaraderie that I was talking about at, uh, at the the go-kart track, uh, there was the same kind of thing at the racetrack. You know, it wasn't a, a big, heavy narco scene uh, that was going on, you know, at that point yeah. at, at the track. But, and there were a lot of good guys. That, I mean, the guys that were involved uh, that were racing against these guys, uh, you know, the Bruce Levins and Bob Akins and Preston Hinton and those and Bob Hol uh, Al Holbert. Uh, those those uh, kind of guys were absolutely straight arrows, but uh, everybody could still be friends. You know? Yeah, there were some uh, some legendary drivers and teams that came out of that era, obviously. But... Uh, yeah, there were a lot of guys that made you know that, that did uh, that did. It, it was a great place, especially some of the European guys to to come to the states, you know, and, and really see. Um, the environment that we had here. Uh, John Fitzpatrick's a perfect example of that. Nobody in the States knew who Fitz was uh, till he came over and, and played at Haiti and cleaned everybody's clock. 
Yeah. You know, and we're like, holy crap, look at this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, he wasn't some 20 year old kid, you know, that's been brought up in, uh, you know, F3000. You know, he's a sports car guy, you know, 10 top guy. But yeah, man, I hope. I hope that documentary happens. I want to see all the stories. I want to hear more about it. Yeah, I, I, do, I do too. We're looking at uh, four to five parts. Um, and uh, we've uh, shown there's a teaser reel. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I saw half. it. It's really good. Yeah, it's really cool. we gotta, we got to adapt some of the cars on it. Uh, stop. But there's enough, there's enough footage from that uh, era, and they're talking to uh, – um, some of the TV people that have the original footage and, and uh, to to bring to be able to use a lot of that stuff. So uh, cool. we should know more. You know, if you have something old like that, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want to like show you know, the uh, It's just so cool. It is. And nobody, you know, there's no place to go find that anymore yeah some of it's not out there it's not on the internet <laughs> it's not out there i mean there's a little bit on youtube but most of it is crash stuff um you know it just didn't exist i mean that's yeah. you know none of the except for the guys that have been able to archive i mean uh, her brand runs the nascar archive and they have access uh, to a lot of the stuff down in daytona uh, and have been saving uh, a lot of this uh, putting it into digital format. Uh, that's one of the things we talked about in Atlanta because Atlanta, where Atlanta also has a, a library a archive, uh, and they were trying to get a lot of that stuff sent down to Daytona. I mean, there were there was eight millimeter film, of, like the original first trans uh, Can Am race. Really? Where we started going through some of this stuff. And, you know, there's Denny Holm in a t shirt rolling tire. You know, so, <laughs> so a, there's a lot of stuff that you would just never, you know, you're never going to see. And, and most people uh, don't give a rat's ass about it uh, anymore, but there's still enough of us around that it's still part of the heritage. And uh, at some point, if you're going to be involved in racing, you got to understand where it all came from a little bit. Right. Right. All right. Well, we, uh, we need to have Gary back on the next few weeks, especially if we're under quarantine. Gary's got too many stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, probably what we should talk about next time is, uh, your, your time with Wayne Taylor at, uh, the super trofeo program. Yeah. yeah. yeah you've had, how you, you've had a couple cool year. years since, uh, since you've been on the show. So. It's been uh, it's been interesting. I think the other thing as well uh, that we ought to touch base. There's a bunch of stuff that we can touch base on, but uh, going through what we uh, all the races, all the 11 years at Le Mans, uh, yeah. some other stuff in DTM, and maybe even Paris Dakar. So <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, great uh, great talking to you again. And, too, sir. Uh, I really look forward to, uh, you know, we're going to get back to some normality here and go racing. And I hope to see, uh, I hope to see you guys at our grid life events this year. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. yeah. Copy All right, that. Guys. Can't wait. Right. See you later. Yeah. Bye-bye. See you, Gary.
Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits Air Grid Live to say hello.